since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Turn a few pages to chapter 10. Starting with verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, that with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith, of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Judy. Well, morning, church. Cold winter is upon us, isn't it? Relatively cold. How many of you have uh, friends who call themselves Christians? They'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, but they don't, they don't go to church. They, um, you know, they, they say, I'm a Christian, but it's just not for me. Or they, I mean, for whatever reason, I'm not talking about physical reasons. I'm talking they're capable of going to church. But for whatever reason, they just don't go. Not here, not anywhere. Why do, you, why do you suppose that is? Why do you think that is? Just give me some reasons. Sin, yep. The world. the world, yep. Like the world, do you mean like the enticement of the world and things to do? Things of the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Are they, that's a question underneath the question, right? Are they, are they actually born again? Yep. Pride, yeah. Yeah, okay, sometimes they've been hurt, right? So if I go to that church, they'll hurt me just like they did at the other place, so, yep. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's really, that's actually interesting, Kim. I haven't thought about that. Um, that's right, that's right. People, like uh, Jeanette just said, people don't, think it's necessary. I mean, could it be that we've thought of church not so much, you know, as something before which we are accountable and through which our Christian identity is realized, but as sort of a 
optional enhancement to our own spiritual journey? I mean, after all, isn't someone's relationship with Jesus supposed to be personal, not institutional? I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this, but when God calls people or redeems them, it's not so much about the individual. Let me explain. Go back, let's take Abraham. God called Abraham, right? Old Testament, Father Abraham. The Lord called him, but the Lord called him, his point, there's an end game, there's a bigger picture, right? It's to make him into a nation, a great nation. Or when God rescued Israel out of Egypt, they were to be his covenant people. Yes, God saves individuals, but they are engrafted into a larger community. The same is true in the new covenant. The Lord has a blood-bought people. They are his bride, the church. So the Old Testament, you have an entity, a group, a people right? Israel, the nation of Israel. And those that want to be God's followers in the old covenant are to be engrafted into Israel, right? Still with me? In the church, you have, sorry, in the new covenant, you have the church. So if you're still with me, Old Testament, Israel, group, New Testament, group, church, yeah? All right, when God called the Israelites, though, to be his people, what is one of the very first things he had them do? He assembled them at Mount Sinai. You remember that? He gathered them together into his presence to receive his word. At other points, we're told that Moses assembled the people together at the tent of meeting. Likewise, in the New Covenant, we see Christians gathering together as God's people. Luke records for us in the book of Acts. In Acts 20, it says this, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. This is what the Bible teaches is the church, the gathering of God's people on the Lord's day. You see, Christianity is not a lone ranger religion or a solitary experience. The Christian life is to be a communal life. John Stott, do you know that name? Commentator, went to be with the Lord not long ago. He had some strong words about some of your friends who call themselves Christians but aren't in church. He said this, quote, an unchurched Christian is a grotesque anomaly. The New Testament knows nothing of such a person. For the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. I like that. Now, if this is true... If the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God, then it's worth asking, friends, what should we be doing as a church? How should our lives be shaped together as a church? That's why we're doing this series called Life Together. 
We want to think about what it means to do life together as a church. In fact, we kicked this whole thing off last week with this idea of unity. Unity. And we said that, look, a healthy church, one that's going to flourish and thrive, is going to be one that prays for and works towards unity. Unity is created by the Spirit of God, right? Remember that in Ephesians 4? But we have to, like pulling weeds, we have to maintain it. We have to work at it. So that's what we looked at last week. Today, we're going to look at this idea of gathering. So just like you have to commit to something, you have to commit to maintain weeds, so it is with gathering together. It it needs something that we actually need to commit to regularly, to meet on the Lord's day. Not neglecting the assembling of ourselves as a church body. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 10 and see what God's word has to say about our gatherings as a church. So that's where we're headed. We're really just going to unpack this short little section in Hebrews. So it shouldn't take long. Five minutes and we'll be done. We'll be out of here. <laughs> All right? So anyway, let's pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning people in desperate need of your grace. Pray that, Lord, you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear as Andrew just prayed. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So who in this room has, have you ever heard of Aesop's fables before? Yeah, Aesop's fables, right? I'd like to read one of them to you. And it's called The Four Oxen and the Lion. The Four Oxen and the Lion. So kids, here it is. Aesop's Fables. A lion used to prowl about a field in which four oxen used to dwell. Many a time, he tried to attack them. But whenever he came near, they turned their tails to one another so that whichever way he approached them, He was met by the horns of one of them. At last, however, they fell a quarreling among themselves, and each went off to pasture alone in a separate corner of the field. Then the lion attacked them one by one and soon made an end of all four. That's a very striking picture of strength in unity, right? Strength and stability when we're together. And on the contrary, when we start bickering amongst each other and say, I'm going to go get my own patch of grass. Well, good luck because the lion's going to devour you. (laughs) Now, before we jump into this text in Hebrews and explore the finer details, I want you to see something that has to sort of kind of do with what I was talking about, about this idea of coming together. Notice that virtually everything about this passage that Judy just read for us it's in the first, pers- plurs- plurs- first person plural. In other words, it's not we. Sorry, it's we, not I. Do you see that? It's not us. It's us, not we. It's me, sorry. I just messed that up real good. <laughs> it's communal, right? There's, there's nothing privatized here. You get th- that's the point. We are to hold fast to the confession of our hope together, verse 23. 
we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, verse 24. Um, if you have your Bibles, come with me there to verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. All right, stop there. We can read over this as something that simply makes sense to us. This is referring to the holy of holies, the tabernacle. No one was allowed to enter there except the high priest, and he was only permitted to do this one day of the year. So what happened to the one who entered the holy of holies without permission, who sort of waltzed in? What happened to that person? He died, or she died, dead. Ask any Jew at that time, and they'd tell you. Only the high priest went in that place. Only one day a year. And now you're saying, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we can all go in? Yes, because of what Christ has done. That's massive. That's nothing short than revolutionary, do you see? Now everyone can go in. See, again, we're living on the other side of this, so we're like, yep, we even have songs. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but what? The blood of Jesus, right? But remember, this was written to Jewish believers whose first frame of theological reference was the Old Covenant, who cut their teeth on the Torah. Access to God is now open? Excusez-moi? What? That's nothing short of revolutionary. And then the writer continues in verse 20. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Fascinating. If you're, I was thinking about this this week when I was reading. If you're not super familiar with the Old Testament, you're going to, Hebrews is going to be a bit of a fog. Uh, just because you're going to be like blood and tabernacle and But it's an amazing book that sums all things up in Christ and that Christ is greater than Moses. He's greater than, than the tabernacle. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than, he's, he is our source of salvation. And, and really this text that we're at here, it's, it's sort of a transition point in the book of Hebrews. I know we've just jumped into Hebrews, but it's sort of a transition point. What it does is, is it causes you to look backward and causes you to look forward. There are three words that for force us to look backward. They're right there in the text if you want to see them. Holy, blood, and great priest. They're all flagged in the previous chapters leading up to this point. In fact, if you have your Bible sitting in front of you, you can check it out. Holy, blood, and great priest. Can you see them all? They're, those are subjects the author has already covered. Hence the reason we look backwards. And they're all things which Jesus has accomplished. He's our great high priest who shed his blood. The Holy One of Israel. That is him, Christ the Lord. Now that lays the foundation for us to look forward. Because notice in verse 22, here comes, rattling off, bang, 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 here comes the exhortations. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us spur one another on. Let us meet together. 
the author is trying to push us along based on truths he's already expounded on. A and can you hear the type of language that's used? It's largely communal. Let us draw near, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us. Let us hold fast to the hope we profess. That sounds very community-based, doesn't it? It's been said that if you put little boys in a room and close the door, they'll lose their minds. And it's true. You know, one boy, half a brain, two boys, quarter of a brain, and so on and so forth, right? <laughs> they just fuel, they just feed off of each other. You put little boys in a room and close the door, and they're going to bring out the worst in each other. You put Christ's people in a room and close the door. And we're, just, we're supposed to bring out the best in each other. That's why he says in verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So what exactly is this body of believers to be concerned about? What are we as a body of believers here, Wyoming Church of Christ, what are we to direct our minds and energy towards? Group hugs? How about good works? You see, the, the stirring of one another here is it's, it's very deep and wide. And it actually, it has a tangible target. So I didn't say, just stir one another up towards things. Look at the tangible target there in verse 24. It's right there. Notice, towards what? Stirring one another up towards love and good works. In a positive sense, there are to provoke each other, to motivate each other towards love and good deeds. Now that's a lovely picture, isn't it? Of this community riveting one another on, as it were, to know God, to love each other, and so on. That's awesome. Sign me up. But it presupposes two things. You still with me? It presupposes two things. First, because it sounds good. Who, who wants that community, right? Yes. If you're asleep, you don't want the community. But if, if you're, you know, who, who wants that community? Yes. Well, then that presupposes two things. First, that you actually care. <laughs> right? It says, notice, that let us consider. You see the term there? We're, we're supposed to give thought to it. Not consider ourselves. We're really good at doing that. If, if we're going to spur one another on, it is important that we actually know each other so that we discern what it will take in an individual's life to stir them up. Because it's not one size fits all. Not everybody is stimulated and encouraged in the same way. That's why you have to know the people and you have to put your shoulder to it. It's hard. It doesn't come naturally to stir each other up. We need to take time, and people are different. And look, what encourages one person may not encourage another person. So then we have to know each other. We have to study each other, pray for each other, ask questions. Don't just talk at the person. Oh, here, you want a bucket load of encouragement? There you go. Well, I gave it to you. It's listening, drawing someone out, asking questions. 
So, it, so again, this community, it's, it sounds awesome, but it, it, see how, what I mean by it? It presupposes this idea that they actually care and they actually take the time to, to do these things. And then it also presupposes another thing. It presupposes they actually gather together in order to accomplish this. How can this spurring one another on thing ever happen if these guys aren't gathering, if they're isolated? And in case you think I'm, I'm reading too much into that, well, look at the following verse in 25. Right? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The way to spur one another on is spelled out in this verse. First in the negative, can you see it? Don't neglect meeting together. There's the negative. Then in the positive. But, what? Encourage one another. Let's look at both. The first phrase is put rather strongly. We are not to neglect to meet together. The word neglect can mean to wrongfully abandon. It's the same word that's used of the nation of Israel when they forsook the Lord. They turned their backs on God. They wrongfully abandoned Him and His ways. You see that a lot when you read the Old Testament, right? Which is pretty heavy, though. Think about the word, wrongfully abandoned. It's pretty heavy when you stop and consider exactly who this letter was originally written to. It's to Jews, hence the title, Hebrews. And they would have been totally familiar with Israel's deserting or wrongfully abandoning of the Lord. But in the context here, in this context, what's this verse pointing to? Forsaking or neglecting what? Well, verse 25, not neglecting to, notice, meet together. Now, in our contemporary Christian culture, some will hear that and think, well, yeah, I always make sure I connect with Christian friends over coffee or a surf or, or whatever. The problem is, you can't take this word meet together and redefine it because it literally means to synagogue with each other. That's what it means. It's the act of coming together as a group, to assemble as a community. Listen how Paul the Apostle talks about local church gatherings or Christians congregating together. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14. If, therefore, the whole church comes together, 1 Corinthians 11, 18. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church. You see, a local church is by definition an assembly. It's the formal gathering of a group of Christians for worship, teaching, prayer, fellowship, and communion. A local church is by definition an assembly. 
You ever had a friend who was really wavering in their Christian faith? You know, and, and they came to you, and, and I mean, look, they're, they're on a knife's edge of, of just chucking the whole thing in the bin. And you think, man, what do I say, you know? What do I do? If only I lived during the days of the apostles, you know, like the dudes that wrote the Bible, if I lived in those days, I could, ta- I could talk to them, you know, and then, I could, and then I could say, this is what you're supposed to do. I know you're feeling, you're, I know, look, you're, you're really on a knife's edge here. I, I know you're really wavering in your faith, but this is what the apostles said. But we don't live in those days, do we? No. But as you head out to the car park today, you're shocked out of your mind because there is Dan Kinney who rocks up in the Back to the Future DeLorean, right? And Dan Kenny, he's driving the speed limit, and he rocks up in the DeLorean, and he says, I just got back, and I talked to the apostles, and I mentioned your friend. And they've got a word for your friend. (sighs) Thank God. Well, what is it, Dan? What did they say? What did the apostles say? They said, just make sure that person keeps meeting together with God's people every week on the Lord's Day. Do life together under the word. That, that's really what they're concerned about. Come on. Like, <laughs> it? Yep, that's it. Listen, the book of Hebrews was written to encourage those who were wavering in their Christian faith and contemplating going back to Judaism. So the author says, look, you want to avoid this? You need to make a habit of going to church, not a habit of skipping it. When you don't feel like going to church, that's the best time you need to go. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, the Jewish readers were having a hard time breaking with the old covenant, with the temple and the sacrifices. They were still holding on to the legalism and ritual and ceremony, the outward things of Judaism. So the writer is telling them, that one of the best ways to hold fast to the things of God, the real things of God, that are found only in the new covenant of Jesus Christ, is to be in the fellowship of His people, where they could love and be loved, serve and be served. There is no better place to come all the way to faith in Christ or to hope continually in Him than the church, His body. It's amazing to me when Christians say, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Or they say, you know, if you really want to be spiritual and you really want to know Jesus, you just don't, you don't need church. In fact, the day I left church is the day that my relationship with God got so much tighter. Look, I've heard those things. I can't make sense of them biblically. The church is the bride of Christ. Is the best way for April and I's marriage to grow as I leave her? How's that going to be? Oh, yeah. And the day I left April, I felt so much closer to her. Because now I have an image of what she was like or should be or, or whatever, and I'm off in, you know, weirdo land with a f- out in the forest getting these 
revelations from God or blah, 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 blah about what she should be like. No, if you want to know her, dude, love her, lead her, be patient with her. See, it's, it's I, when people say, oh, I, just, I, I, don't, I don't need church. What they're saying is I don't need Christ, I don't need his bride. You can't, you see how that's the same idea that he talks about in Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church. He gave himself for the church. The church is his bride. So the author of Hebrews says, you're going you're gonna to forsake that? You're going to forsake assembling? And for what? Coming into verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. Notice, as is the habit of some. Okay, good. We're not the only ones. <laughs> it appears that the writer is addressing some who were abstaining themselves from the congregation, right? The church would gather, and where were they? Nowhere to be found. They weren't there. Why? Well, it's not spelled out. Could be a desire to avoid persecution from Romans or other Jews. I mean, if you're not seen at these public meetings, then you can fly under the radar, right? We're not really sure. But as it stands, rather than contemplate and speculate about what, why they weren't going, how about us here? Let's bring it home. How about y'all? How about you? Why aren't you in church? No, you're here now. Praise God. But in Australia, we're not, uh, last time I checked, at least for now, we're not being monitored and like, you know, we're not like putting our necks on the line like, you know, going to die from singing together, singing and praying together. And so why, 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 why do people struggle to come to church? Well, this little booklet that I read this week, I'll leave it up here if you, you want to check it out. It says, what if I don't feel like going to church? <laughs> By Gunnar Gunderson. And, and what he does is, is he, he lists some reasons why people don't go to church. And I just want to read a couple of them to you. He said that, for one, it could be spiritual reasons. Maybe the dominant reason is spiritual. You're in a dark place. Christianity has lost its luster, or you're living in hidden sin. Maybe feasting on the world has sapped your spiritual appetite, or you're going through your first dry season as a Christian. Perhaps you resonate with the psalmist who said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? So that's a spiritual reason. Could also be relational reason. Sometimes the challenge is relational. A marital problem. A broken friendship. An awkward personality. Maybe you're single or widowed and you feel out of place around all the families. Maybe you've disagreed with a leader and there's lasting tension. Maybe you've been judged or rebuked by someone and seeing them triggers anger and shame. Maybe you'll be disowned or, or lose credibility if you identify with the Christian faith. Regardless, Psalm 133 is far from your experience. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I'll give you a couple more. One is per, per, uh, preferential reasons. Some frustrations are about preferences. You don't like the music the liturgy, the way people dress, or the leadership style. You wish the service, the sermon, was shorter. No one feels out here. 
the people friendlier, the coffee better. Your preferences might reflect biblical principles or might just be nitpicky. But whether you're right or wrong, constant frustration isn't a good sign. Recreational reasons. Some people struggle with church for recreational reasons. The weekends are prime time for hobbies, adventures, tournaments, travel, or kids' sport. With a busy week behind you and fresh opportunities before you, it can be hard to prioritize church. And isn't that the truth? You know, we as Christians, though, friends, are supposed to be the people who come together every opportunity we have in order to receive everything we can for the time we can't be together. We should be the people who are so dependent upon preaching and teaching of the word of God that we wouldn't miss it for the world because we know we're going to need it to get through the next week. Those who are in the habit of neglecting church are cutting themselves off from the very means of grace whereby Christ feeds his people and assures his people and gives them confidence. Who wouldn't want to be in the presence of people who are stirring up one another towards love and good works? I need to be stirred up towards love and good works. You folks, like, you look like you need it as well. We need each other. And we're called to do this all the more until, notice, to win, till the day comes, till Christ's return. See the capital day there? Returning of Christ. So will you commit to do this? I understand people get sick. I understand you're out of town sometimes. But will you commit to gathering together regularly on the Lord's day? Not forsaking meeting ourselves. Is that something that you are excited about doing? Not because it's an obligation. Not because you feel like, oh man, I feel kind of guilty. Like that, if I just guilt trip you, that's not going to last long. I, mean, I could do that, but it's not going to last long. But, but you're seeing this as a means of grace where we're nourished, challenged, riveted on each other on, you see. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, you see. Are, are you keen to do that? Well, then if so, Let's, let's put our hands in on three, okay? Oh, wait, we can't do that. That would be awkward. Plus, we'd all break COVID rules and fall over each other. But how do we know who is keen to do that? How do we know? Are we just going to kind of hope for the best? Put our hands in? There has to be some way to formalize this. There has to be a way that you can have accountability to each other. Look, do you hear what I just said? We, I need, do you understand? I, I am, I'm not a nice, you already know that, but I, I am not this like nice sheltered little pastor boy. Like if I was Jesus, I would have been like, nah, he doesn't make the cut. Like the Lord saved me in his sovereign grace. I was God-hating rebel. The Lord saved me at 17 years old and has given me the privilege to serve him. But I need the church. I didn't used to think that way, though. I was one of those rugged, autonomous individuals. Got my Bible. Back then, it was a Walkman. 
Got my wow worship plan. Cheesy. Delirious. Got all these things going. I don't need the church, man. I'm good. And I was so wrong. I just didn't understand how even really, remember what I said in the beginning of the sermon? How even God calls not, yes, individuals, but corporately, people groups, you see. I just, I didn't, I didn't get these things. But it was through a lot of friendships and reading and thinking and studying about the church where I go, this is absolutely essential. I cannot, I need, I need you guys to commit to being here for me, selfishly. If I don't have you here, I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to be riveted on. You, you understand? If anyone needs to be pushed along in their Christian faith, it's this dude. It's this guy. I, I am not naturally this godly guy at all. I am irritable, snappy, arrogant, ethnocentric. I'm all those things. I need someone to rivet me on to holiness. But look, what am I going to just show up and just hope and cross my fingers that you guys are going to maybe show up? I I need you to commit up front because I want to. If I'm going to put my shoulder to this, it's awkward if I'm like, I need, so we need to be able to formalize this. That's my point. We need to be able to count on each other to say, look, brother, look, sister, I'm here. I'm at this church. I'm not going to just show up when it's convenient. I'm not just going to, you know, come randomly. I'm here because I understand what this gathering is. You know, one of the things that I had a vision for, and I don't mean vision, vision, sorry to disappoint some of you. One of the things that I had an idea for when I moved out to Australia, I was sharing this with Dan in the week, is I thought, you Aussies get so much time off. (laughs) As you do. Or maybe you get the appropriate time off and Americans don't get any time off. That's probably more what it is. But that's better, yeah. But I, it's true. Actually, I'd, I'd rather have all the more time off. But you don't really, uh, how do I say this? Before you move to another country, those of you that maybe moved here from other countries, which there's actually quite a few of you in here, you have a vision of what that country's like, or, uh, but then you don't really know until you go there. Does, does that make sense? And I was so, one of the things I was excited to come to Australia about is I thought, oh, there's so many long weekends, which we're on, there's so many holidays. Again, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm saying that it's actually really cool. But wow, what an opportunity for the church. We could actually go on like a short-term mission trip with all that time off. We, 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 could, we could do so much evangelistic work in the community. We could, we could spend time reading and studying and thinking and praying and, and knowing God together as a, as a church. And I want to say, some of you, that's been, I've loved that with some of you. But I've been quite surprised at the same time because when I talk with some of my other pastor friends, they go, oh yeah, well, you know, long weekend and school halls, people go bye-bye. It's like, this is an opportunity. Like, do you you understand Ephesians says, therefore make the best use of the time? This is the time the Lord has given you. What are you going to do with it? What better way to spend your whole life than leaning into and investing into the local church, God's community of people that he has saved. Are you keen for that? I I mean, I'm excited about it. Let me close with this. This last little 
bit here from Gunner's book, and I'll leave it up here. Totally worth getting, or you can borrow it and you can pass it along. He says this about this idea of gathering. He says, At all times and in all places, the gathering of the saints is like fresh rain sent by God to strengthen his people. Christians gather to worship not because it might be helpful if all the stars align or if our leaders plan the service just right or if everyone smiles at us with the perfect degree of sincerity, handles the small talk seamlessly, and engages with us just the right depth of conversation. We don't gather to be cool because we're not. We don't gather because there are just enough people our age because that's not the point. We don't gather because we're safe because in many places around the world, we're not. We don't gather because it's easy or convenient because we don't follow a savior who carried a pillow but a cross. Instead, we gather because we're saved. We gather because we're forgiven. We gather because we're one. We gather because we're redeemed, reborn, and commissioned to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We gather because the God we're worshiping has instituted our gathering as the main way he matures and trains and comforts us. It's not just when the songs or prayers or sermons touch our souls right where we need to be touched. We meet because God builds up his people through our meeting every time, in every place, without fail, no matter how we feel, like rain in the fields. It's how our gatherings work. Amen. Let's pray. And Lord, we do pray that we would not forsake meeting together. We pray that you do a good work in our hearts. Lord, get, uh, remind us this week that what this thing is, that we wouldn't just sort of try to roll up our sleeves, but we would be longing to meet together, to come together again in a week's time, to worship together, to pray together, to sit under your word together. We pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in this church, that this church, Lord, would not be what I just described of there goes half of them when it's school halls or long weekend, but we'd see an increase and a desire to love you, to love each other,